Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Let's pray. Lord, we're reminded, I'm reminded this morning of those moments where we, where the sun comes up and the warmth of that sunshine presses against our face. And we can feel that, that heat that comes from the sun. We understand what it feels to be like to be in the light. That presence is where you want to be in our life. Lord, we come from all different angles this morning. We come from different places. Some have had rough weeks. Some have had great weeks. We come into your sanctuary looking to be refreshed, renewed, reminded of our God an opportunity to worship, to hear your voice, to be challenged in the things of this world, and Lord, to take something home with us. I pray this morning that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be attentive, and that we would see you in this morning's service. May it not just be another day or another Sunday or another chance to sit in a pew, but rather an experience we have with you. Open us up to hear your voice. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning's passage is a bit, Brentley said to me this morning, you know, for his Last week we talked about being special, and this week's a little bit the other end. So maybe we can balance, we'll balance that out as best we can. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 13 through 16. We'll talk a little bit about why it says what it says in a minute. But It says, Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may come have come from prison to the kingship or may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before him. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. May God add his blessing as we continue to sing this morning, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you love us as your children. That you wrap your arms around us, that you hold us close, that you protect us. That you have the best plan for us. That you care so deeply over us. And just like that baby, we <laughs> we sometimes make noise and we squawk. It reminds us, Lord, of our frailty, 
of our tenderness, of our inability, Lord, to make it happen on our own. We'd like to think we have it all figured out. We'd like to think that we understand this life, and yet, Lord, we come as a child, begging dearly for you to take care of our needs. Lord, I pray that this morning we would come from that that arena, that spot in life, that we would shed the pride and arrogance and those things that get in the way of our relationship with you, that we would recognize that we are beings that were created in your image, that you love us so and desire the best for us. May we come from there. For that's the only way we'll recognize your hand in our life. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be a child, and if you are, you can run, right? And if your parents don't like it, well, that's right. Brentley said you could. He's in trouble. You know, I got to laugh. You'll laugh too in a second. Today is the third installment of, uh, of, of Scripture that you got to put on your Connect card. Any guess today whose Scripture would be today? Today's Scripture would be? Come on, any guess. doesn't matter. You get to pick. Worse. No, not worse. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not fair. Who? No, no, Amy's was the first one. She's married. She married me, so, so, I, so I got to pick, she got to pick hers first. No, this is the best thing ever. It's, it's Kenny's. <laughs> and this is how God works. I just need to tell you, this is how God works. This is funny because you're like, why is this funny? Well, it's funny because this was the question for Ken, you know, because he's always jawing at me from that spot. So today was my opportunity to get a slide and put it back on Kenny's lap to tell him, to ask him what the meaning of life was. Well, guess what? Now you guys are all Kenny for at least two minutes, all right? Entertain me. What is the meaning of life, Kenny? Because you know, Ken, if you know much about Ken, Ken's a very philosophical guy, right? He always has this really long, great, philosophical, deep thought. Well, I don't know if it's always deep, but it's, it, it feels that way, right? Kind of. It's like, it, when it comes from Ken, it feels that way. And so... I was going to get him back, dang it, and he's not here. I saw him Friday. He wasn't here. I don't know where he's at. Anyway, so I need to know what the meaning of life is. Why are you here? Why were you created? What is the meaning of life? Whoa. That's almost a Kenny answer, to be reconciled with your creator. I like it. Brian. Oh, Brian's pretty philosophical. All right, give it to me, Brian. A purpose, yes. And it's not to eat lunch? No, it's more than that, right? <laughs> what else? What's the meaning of life? 
Why do you exist? Why are you taking up my oxygen? We're going to run out. It's okay that you're taking up the oxygen, right? But why do you exist? Have you ever, have you ever spent time thinking about that? A relationship? Okay, thank you. What's, I missed that, Carol, sorry. That's right, with God and your fellow man. Thank you. What'd you say? Oh, okay. What's that? Oh, you're probing. Have you ever spent time sitting around thinking about deep things like, what is the meaning of life? Have you ever had those crises, the faith crisis where... You're like, why do I exist? Why would God have created me? You might be the only God someone knows, absolutely. We have those, those crises in faith, do we not? Have you ever had a crisis when you're about to make a really big decision? That's usually when it happens, right? It's usually like, holy cow, there's this really big decision. Brian, did you just have a faith crisis about a month ago? Yeah, <laughs> Brian's starting a new business. <laughs> I was just thinking about Brian. And it was like, yeah, that's heavy, right? You begin, to, like, you begin to put all that stuff together and it just kind of weighs like on your shoulders. My, one of my, not, I've had lots, but, not, but one of them I think a lot about was about uh, 31 years ago plus. And it was in February. And uh, it was a silly idea of getting married. You know, and uh, on that day, I got married at high noon. I don't know if that was like the OK Corral or what. I don't know. High noon, and it was February 2nd. It was freezing out. February 3rd. (laughs) There's a story. You need to understand the story. For 31 years, we have jawed about going to the Groundhog Day. And we have, just so you know, we have gone probably six or seven times. If you want to go, let me know. I like to go. My wife, not so much. I don't get it. It's, it's freezing cold, and you're outside, and you get to watch a groundhog. What's the problem? Long story sh- short, we got married on the third, but we always do Groundhog Day on the second, and so I always get them tangled up. Because <laughs> Groundhog Day is definitely as important as my wedding. Stop it. <laughs> ah! Does anybody have a couch I can borrow tonight? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in need of it. I can remember, though, being 19 on the day of my wedding. And I'm sitting on the porch with my dog. I had taken my four-wheeler and done a bunch of donuts for a couple hours and just rode around like an idiot. And I came back, and it was probably like 9 or 10 in the morning. And I'm sitting with my dog. And I'm talking to the... You know how you talk. The dog knows, right? He listens. That's probably why I still like dogs. He listens. And I sat there sharing with the dog my angst of, this is a humongous decision. And, of course, people tell you, it's the biggest decision of your life. Gee, thanks. I'm 19. I barely, I don't even know what. And trying to make that decision and knowing that it's a big deal. And it's going to be scary. You have to get in front of people. You have to pretend like you're in love and all this. Oh, Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
It's in those moments that we, th- we think about the meaning of life, do we not? What will happen when I take and make this covenant, this decision, and we move forward from here? What's it going to look like? And, and thank God, uh, there's one thing about marriage I think uh, I appreciate the most. We have no clue what we're walking into, right? We have no clue. Complete honesty. We have no idea what we are walking into when we say, I do. Let's be honest, if we knew exactly what we were walking into and we had it all spelled out in front of us, like here's what's going to happen on the daily, if we understood what we were walking into, we might not walk into it. Fair statement? That's the truth. That's why it's called love, because it's hard, it's challenging. It's rewarding. But if we, under, we don't understand walking into it, and I believe it's God's plan for us to not fully understand what we're walking into. Because for some of us, we've, we walked into a marriage, and it was hard, and then we had kids, and that was hard, and then our kids struggled, and that was hard. And now our families struggle, and that is hard, and our, we have health issues, and that is hard, and all those pieces make us question if it was the best decision we could have made. I believe God sets it up that way on purpose. Because if we understood everything, we would probably mess it up even worse. Today's passage is dark. Today's passage is dark from a guy who had it all. A guy who had spent his life with anything and everything you could ever ask for. Guided by the name of King Solomon. David's son. He had it all. He asked God for wisdom. He got wisdom. He was the king. Anything that he thought of or could even think of, he tried to do to fulfill his desire and to figure out his meaning, the meaning of life. When he gets towards the end of life, now I want to give you a little bit of background. First uh, Kings says that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all other kings of the earth. And the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear his wisdom that God had put in his heart. This guy was a wise guy. He knew all there was to know. He did everything you could do. None of you have a clue. None of us have a clue about Solomon's life. Because money was not an object. What he wanted, he got. This is the guy with a thousand women. Right? It says 300 wives, 700 concubines. This is a guy who ate and drank and whatever his heart desired. He did what he wanted to do any time of the day, whatever it was, whenever it was. There were no restrictions in his life. He had it all. Everything his heart desired. He was looking for the meaning of life. He was looking to figure out why he existed, why he was on this earth, 
and what God had put him here for. And he gets near the end of his life and he writes this book we read today, Ecclesiastes. And if you're looking for some dark reality, I encourage you to read it. It's not light, it's not fluffy, it's kind of heavy. The key to most of the book is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is a chasing after the wind. And he goes through and he chronicles everything that he has tried. He goes through and he talks about everything he has done. And it says, I come to the same conclusion over and over and over again. It's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's heavy. It's a heavy passage. It feels like the world is on his shoulders. He tries to weigh it out. Will this make me happy? Will this be okay? Is there enough? If I have a better job, if I do this... If I meet new people, if you know much about Solomon, he, he was great at uh, connecting with, for a lot of those wives and concubines were, his, were the, the wives or daughters of the enemy. And so he would take, uh, as political uh, pieces, he would take a wife from the enemy and bring her into the castle because he knew the enemy wouldn't trash, they wouldn't kill their own daughter. And so he made a lot of these political moves. Smart guy, wise guy. But that didn't fulfill him. It wasn't enough. There wasn't enough uh, to fulfill him. And I know for some of us, it's hard for us to be fulfilled. We're always looking for the next thing, the next overtime, the next fill the bank, the next whatever. And we struggle to be okay with where we're at. We struggle to be okay with where God has put us. We want more. And this passage is just, it's three verses. But the story is this. It's an illustration. It's about a poor young man and an old foolish king. I sometimes wonder if Solomon was speaking about his own life. From when he was a poor, he wasn't poor, but a, young, a youth, and when he was a foolish king. This foolish king, he lives this life of everything he could ever want. But he doesn't heed the warnings, it says. He doesn't hear the things that are going on. He begins to be uh, a little bit less senseless in, in, in the way he runs the, the area. And a young poor, uh, poor man, it says even maybe he came from jail. The hero of the day, right? The underdog comes. And what do the people do? What do the people do when they see this new underdog? What do you do when you see an underdog? We go, right? We love them. Everybody loves an underdog, right? David and Goliath, who do we like? Anybody want to be on Goliath's side? No. Everybody wants to be on David's side, right? 
We love an underdog. We love a guy that's, that the, the odds are against. And so they begin to follow this young man. And he becomes the king's successor. We love an underdog, right? It doesn't take long. People are following. They're cheering him on. He's the, he's the victor. And then he wins. And how long do you think it takes before people don't like the new king? What's that? Yeah, not long, right? <laughs> it's quick. We're a fickle people. As soon as he's the king, it says in, in verse 16, there was no end uh, to all the people who were before him. But those who came a little later <laughs> were not pleased with the new guy. And so guess what they do? Guess what they do? They become fickle at what is now the old foolish king. And now they want someone new. Sound familiar? They feel a little bit uh, close to home. That maybe uh, we do the same thing in our lives. We love an underdog, but once they become the champion, then we're looking for the next underdog. Solomon says, this too is a chasing after the wind. It seems that in our life we continually want more and more and more. That nothing satisfies our desire for more. Our human nature says, I need the next latest and greatest. I need the next thing. I need to... To fill that up, that's the only way I'll be full. And as soon as we get it and we open the package, it's no longer the next greatest thing, is it? They build a new one the next week. I get my iPhone. I don't have an iPhone because I don't. But if, as soon as I get a phone, what happens? There's a next phone. Did you know? This phone's junk. Throw it out. Let's get a new one. We have an insatiable thirst for the next best thing, the next greatest thing. We're not okay where we are. Solomon says, that is a chasing after the wind. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. We thirst for those things. We exert so much energy to get the next latest and greatest. And when we get it, it doesn't solve the problem, does it? It doesn't fill that hole we have. Only maybe for a moment. And then it's like, ugh. It got dirty, and now I want a new one. Solomon understood very personally this situation because he did it. Don't kid yourself. There's a reason he had a thousand wives. Don't kid yourself. Because he needed the next, the latest, greatest, 
woman. He tried that option along with all his other options. He couldn't fulfill that insatiable thirst for something new all the time. And he said, it's all meaningless. It's a waste. I'm wasting my life chasing these things. That when I get them, it doesn't matter because I want the next one. This passage is heavy. This passage is heavy because it reminds us of who we are in our sin nature. It reminds us that that's the kind of people we are. We, don't want, to, we want to see other people that way and not ourselves. Solomon writes this book of Ecclesiastes because he's like, here is where I'm at. I'm writing my journal. I'm, I'm, I did all these things. I, I want to encourage you that if you do read it, make sure you read it to the end. Because it takes the last two verses to count for uh, Solomon to come around. And I'll share that with you in a minute. You know when it's hot out, it's been hot out, and you're all sweaty and you've been working out or you've been mowing the lawn or whatever it is, you get thirsty. And when you get thirsty, you'll want something to, to fill, to, to quench that thirst, something to cool you down, something to meet that need. And in Jesus' time, there wasn't water. They didn't live in Erie where everything's a swamp and a lake. They lived in a very different place where water was not nearly as accessible. They had certain places where they could get water. And if they didn't get water, they were out. They would run out. Dan Schumach tells a crazy story when he was in California where he had to go like 25 miles. And he got to the spots. So when he was walking the Pacific Crest Trail, they, on their map would be like, here's water. But you got to get water here because you're not going to get it for 20 miles. That's a pretty crazy idea in a walk, huh? And so he would go, and he got to the place where there was supposed to be water. Mind you, he'd already come 20 miles. And he gets to the place where there's a little road, a little thing, and he's supposed to go get water. There is no water. He's in the middle of absolute nowhere. He's like, there was a little bit of a mud hole. <laughs> and he said, I had to dig a When's the last time we drank out of a mud hole? We don't, right? But Dan had to, and uh, Dan tells the story that he didn't get enough water there, and he kept walking. And, then, and uh, as the further he got, the more dehydrated he got. And uh, he actually uh, passed out, thought he was going to die. Um, but God ended up showing him some water in a different place that wasn't marked on his map. But we get to those spots where we, where we need a drink of water. And Jesus said in uh, John 4, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I give them is a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. For everlasting life. We love a good cold glass of water on a hot, sticky day. But the, the water that Jesus has 
is the water of eternal life. Solomon says, do you, ever, do you ever go down to the beach when the wind is blowing and lose your hat? And I swear, and I, I might be wrong, but I, I swear that when my hat falls off and hits the ground, it stops. But as soon as I take a step towards that, and I'm about to grab it, it's almost like the wind, like I, like I blew enough wind to me. You know what I'm talking about, right? We, we blow that, the, the, the hat goes, or whatever it is, whatever we lose, it keeps going. No matter what we do, it keeps moving. Solomon says that's what it looks like when we chase after the things of this earth. That's what it looks like when we're trying to fill our coffers, trying to have the best car, trying to have the nicest house, trying to impress our neighbors. It's a chasing after the wind. Remember what Solomon says, better a poor but wise youth than an old foolish king. Let me tell you a little bit about the end of the story. The last two verses in Ecclesiastes. This is where it all comes around for me. This is what he says. Solomon says, after I've done all of these things, he spends 12 chapters, about 11 chapters, sharing all of the things that he tried, talking about all of the stuff in his life. He gets to the end. And he says, this is the end of the matter. Here's all that's going to matter at the end of the day. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and obey his commandments. That's, that's where Solomon landed. After all of this time and energy, his life put into trying to find the meaning of life. Here is the meaning of life. Fear God and keep his commandments. And to me, this passage says one thing. And this is the challenge for me and the challenge for you. Anything that we put in front of God is meaningless. Anything we put in front of God, including church, Sometimes church gets in the way of fearing God and keeping his commandments. Anything you put in front of God is meaningless. Fearing God, fearing God in the Old Testament, is understand that that meant understanding who God was, revering God, and treating him like the God who needed to be how he was treated. Understanding that he is the king of the universe. He created this earth and that we are here on, in his image. Solomon says, listen, that's the most important part. Your relationship with God, most important. Keep his commandments and everything else will be extra. Let's pray. 
Lord, you're so good to us. You're so good to us even when we struggle to be good for, to you. So many things and times we allow stuff to get in the way of you. So often our relationship takes the second fiddle to the things of the day. And like Solomon says, all those things are meaningless. Lord, may we drink from the spring of eternal life and understand that our relationship with you is the, the most important thing. That all you want is our heart. You don't want our stuff. You don't need our stuff. Thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. In your name we pray. Amen.